This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Tony Jordan, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. (laughs) We do we do love having you here. Tony has worked as a molecular biologist, quality control chemist, tab operator and door-to-door aluminium siding. That makes me sound a bit yeah. unstable, I'm Gerald. Not- <laughs> Doesn't it? Is that true though? <laughs> yes, door I, to door I, aluminium. It was only a short period of time. My oh, my right. aluminium siding sales career was only two weeks. What is that? I have to knock on people's door and say, Would you like some aluminium siding on your house? Right, okay. And people just, like I was obviously a teenager doing this and people just took pity on me. They said, no, but come inside and have a cup of tea. Yeah, I think it's it's, somehow it's in your biography because people just don't know what it is probably. (laughs) (laughs) She is the author of seven novels, including the international bestseller edition, which was long listed for the Miles Franklin Award, Nine Days, which was awarded Best Fiction at the 2012 Indie Awards and was named in Kirkus Review's Top Ten. Our Tiny Useless Heart, which was long listed for the International Dublin Literary Award. Oh, my goodness. I mean, is there, <laughs> is there nothing that Tony Jordan can't do? So, Prettier If She Smiled More is Tony's latest novel, and it's why she's here today. We're going to chat about that. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry with empathy and recognition and ask questions. When is it too late to start over? Oh, that's just such a beautiful topic. You've got the knack in writing, and I know you know this, of really portraying quirky characters that are so lovable, but they, the characters, have an empathy as well. Thank you. That's really lovely. I think a lot of people are quirky characters. We're really all quirky characters. We are. Yeah, I yeah. think deep inside we all think we're a bit weird and yeah. there's some part of us that we don't share with other people Yeah, because it there's a strange a long, side. Yeah, it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with that. People used to always say to me, oh, everyone's on the spectrum. And I hope I'm not saying this in a way that um, dismisses the importance of knowing, but I think we are. I think every one of us has a bit of something. Humans are yeah. hilarious. Yeah, and we're not all perfect. No. No. And, no. and they're my favourite kind of characters as yeah. well. I really like people who do the wrong things for the right reasons, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like you can yeah. see where they're coming from. Yeah. They sometimes make bad choices, Yeah, but their heart is good. Um, speaking of bad choices, I love this story. A friend of mine has got a sister with a disability and at one point she was working at a big building construction head office, um, you know, when they hire people um, with disabilities to work and to, you know, uh, live a fulfilled life. And her job was to take the mail, right? right. Um, go and get the mail and take it from one building to the next. And so she... Um, 
it was pouring down with rain and it was two buildings and to work, walk to the other building, she would have been drenched, like there was no walkway or covered walkway. And the boss said to her, well, you know, I'm sorry, this is a job and it has to be done. Um, you know, you can problem solve it, just work out a way of doing it. And she did. She shredded all the mail. <laughs> that <laughs> all will teach the them. <laughs> and that was back in the days where we were posting checks, right? Thousands of mail. Oh, my goodness. But it was good problem solving, don't you it think? Fixed it. Fixed it fixed the problem. She's not going to get wet now. No, if that's If they right. had provided a better solution, she wouldn't have had to do that. That's right. And that was her solution. And I'm yeah. with that. I yeah, love that story. I love it too. <laughs> and I think with it, we've all got a bit of that in us. All right. Now, talk to me. I, I know we talked post-COVID because I remember we talked about the vaccine, didn't yes. we? Yeah. yeah. Using your scientific brain at this point, where are we at? Um, I think it's there's still more of it around than we are probably acknowledging mm. because it's there's we don't read about it in the papers anymore because mm. the papers are kind of bored with mm. it. So I think there's still a, an underlying mm. um, thing. I've had three shots and I'll get my fourth probably mm. a little bit in the lead up to winter. Mm. But I think it's uh, people are still getting it for mm. the first time. Mm. Um, I, I've had four shots and I'm going to go for my fifth, I think. I think I'm eligible for my fifth now. But um, what I'm interested in, in is have we learned anything? Because we're people people. Yeah, You're a scientist yeah. and a people person. What did we get from it? It's Well, for me, I've really... Um, it's coming back to basics, isn't it? It's it coming is. back to what's really important, the people yeah. that we love, the things that we love doing yeah. and not having this relentless need for whatever the new thing is and moving around so much. Mm. And I think, uh, I, look, I am very much um, the kind of person that believes you can find a bright side in anything if you look hard enough. Mm. And that's a terrible thing to say again because so many people lost people mm. and thousands um, I mean we forget that thousands and thousands of thousands, people died yeah thousands yeah. and and um, people with small children who had to work yeah. and homeschool and health professionals I'm mm. just a really terrible mm. time mm. and it's a real challenge to think what can I take from this mm. to make the future better mm. but that's the challenge now I feel as though we missed a bit of an opportunity because we all stopped you know, I think we should have made some bigger decisions around climate change at that Absolutely, time. Absolutely, yeah. You know, like we'd broken the habit in yep. a way and maybe yep. we should have thought about that a bit more. Yeah, instead of just going back immediately to normal. Mm. It's mm. A, Everybody needs a reset at some mm. point mm. in their lives. I remember noticing, because I live on a fairly busy road and noticing that there was no one on that road anymore at 8am. Yeah. And I thought, how do we stop this car addiction? Yes. How yeah. do we do that? But I don't know if we walked away with any of that. But anyway, look, you know, I mean, I know you and I are always trying to solve the world's problems, <laughs> but <laughs> we probably can't. Um, so you released a book during lockdown, yes. didn't you? Well, yeah. at the very end, last this yeah. time last year. Dinner with the Schnabels. Yes, that's right. And then now we're talking about Prettier, If She Smiled More. Tell me about writing the first the that book versus this book. So the Schnabels versus this book. Oh, this one was much harder for me. Why? The first book was, I think the first book was um, easier because I hadn't done fiction for a while. I'd just done my PhD, so I'd oh, been doing okay. a different kind of writing, and I had a lot of fictional characters and things and thoughts built up. But when I was writing this one, I was editing the last one at the same time, and oh. I think the voice. It took me a long time to get the voice clear. Mm. Um, 
I do this kind of third person unreliable narrator. So mm. you're close to the main character and you see what their thoughts are, but you're also conscious of when they're wrong. Hopefully the reader can see that some of the thoughts that these people have are not right. So I'm I'm hoping to generate that. But but because I was still working on the previous book, her voice took a long time to get really clear. So mm. this was by far the hardest book I've ever written out of the seven. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? What were you doing your PhD in? The PhD is about what makes something romantic comedy. Like oh, what is the wow. actual definition? I thought you were going to say a science. Thing. No, no. I did my PhD in creative arts. Oh, you did? So I looked at three writers. I looked at Moliere, the French playwright, mm-hmm. Jane Austen and Nora Ephron, the American oh, screenwriter. Yeah, yeah. And I looked at um, their work and whether they would be defined as romantic comedy by my definition. Isn't that interesting? Mm. And what did you conclude? I concluded that yes to Moliere and the reason he's not considered um, a romantic comedy writer is because he's a genius and he's a bloke. And and somehow that means his work is considered non-genre or better or like that. I said that Austen wasn't (laughs) because I think that uh, the happy endings are are quite incidental and Mm. I think she finds the romance boring. Mm. Um, She glosses over the romance, Mm. like Pride and Prejudice, for example, Um, the really awkward and embarrassing and cringy proposals, like when Mr. Collins proposes to Lizzie, she loves them. She gives them pages and pages of hilarious, cringy Mm. proposal. And and same with Darcy's first terrible proposal. And then the second proposal, she doesn't even, it's just like one sentence. He proposed, mm. she said yes. Like the actual romantic bits bore her. Mm. And um, Nora Ephron I felt was very complicated um, because she's actually doing a lot of very interesting things mm. and the romantic comedy is just the shell that kind of holds it. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Do you know, it's so interesting you should bring this up. Um there is a lot of still, and it, it really um, it sets me. Um, it, 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 I don't know. It makes me crazy. The criticism of women's commercial fiction. Yep. It makes to the point of I can't. I have to scream it's in my kitchen sometimes. It's just so ridiculous. It's... We get we get trolled by men who just at me all the time. Is about, that right? Yeah, about about some of the um, the the books that we talk about, but. <laughs> You know, one, 90% of my readers are female. Now, that's probably consistent with the book buying public as well. So, and I feel that for years and years, the editorial or the review or the gatekeepers were male and they were literary, right? And social media changed all that. And now readers can... You know, they can talk to authors direct. Yep, they can yep. come to our community and talk about it. So it's the demand. It's feeding the demand. Of course. And why is it that it's devalued because it's women's fiction? I don't they're understand. They're resentful that they're losing control maybe. Yeah. But, you know, I think of... I think Do of you it, hear that? Do you experience um, it? Yeah, I, I'm conscious of that, especially in regard to humour because a mm. lot of what I write is humour mm. and I feel that particularly women's humour is not given mm. the respect that men's humour is given. So I'm I'm really conscious of, of that mm. and not just in this country. When, mm. when um, Andrew Sean Greer's book Less won the Pulitzer Prize a few years ago, I loved that book. Mm. I thought it was hilarious. Mm. Um, of course I was 
thrilled that a comedy won the Pulitzer Prize. But I couldn't help but thinking that if that had been written by a woman with a different jacket and a a female main character, it would have been Mm. not considered Mm. a literary book. Well, do you know, before all of this, and I've been hammered last year particularly about our choices here, um, I just never really thought about gender when I was reading. Really? I, I don't think I did. Like... I've, been, I've, I've noticed the transition, of course I have, you know, Jane Harper, you know, Tony Jordan, all those people that have impacted what Australians are reading. I mean, I think, you know, largely Jane Harper um, just put a spotlight on Absolutely. women's crime fiction. Yep. And you, you know, with addition, you know, that was groundbreaking at the time. Thanks. And so we're seeing more and more women being published and the readers are loving it. I think that... Um Books are great. Yeah. <laughs> Books are fantastic. And we talk about our children reading enough. Like yeah. That's a con- continual course, source of anxiety. And if you teach them that they can't read what they want and that, that it yeah. shouldn't be fun, how is that going to encourage people? Yeah. It's, you see the same kind of discussions about print books versus audio books versus e-books. Like the one is better. Like no. how about print books are great, audio books are great, and e-books are also great. Books are just great in general. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I know I find too, um, avid readers, they'll read anything. They yep. don't care what format it is. I'm the same. Yeah. My friend Bernard in the US, who's a, you know, he's a great reader, uh, and he's always got a couple of books going. He's listening to something, he's reading something, yep. you know, and that's what people do. Yeah. And people, that, you know, that want story and are interested in story, they don't care how you deliver it. Really. I'm the same. Yeah, you're the same. Okay, so I want to talk to you about your career. And now that you're a writer and you've done your HR, a PhD in um, in creative writing, does that turn off the science brain? I think those two brains are closer together than you might imagine. Okay. I think in the sciences, creativity plays a really important role. Like for a start, you're, before you can kind of test and measure a solution to a problem, you've got to think it up in the first place. And creative thinking in the sciences is really undervalued as an important skill. So I actually think they're quite close together. Is it because we expect science to be so precise and perfect and is there room for creativity? Oh, it's essential. Every, every every new really exciting development has come because somebody's got a great idea and has to find a way to see how that fits into their view of the world or fits into whatever theory they're working in. But generation of ideas is just crucial. Mm. Mm. I feel as though, you know, again, post-COVID, you know, the spotlight, the spotlight is on science. Um, do you miss any of that work? I miss the hands-on stuff. I used to work very much with my hands, like making the experiments. I used to do this thing called, this is too much information, but uh, uh, acrylamide gel electrophoresis, which is like making a jelly, a very thin jelly, and running proteins through it using an electrical charge to watch them separate to work out how what proteins are in a solution. So I used to have to make the jelly. I used to have to make the stuff that held the jelly because it's got to be super thin. Um, and then I used to run the experiment. So I miss this almost craft-like aspect of, well, you're a cook, you would understand. Like it, it's very finite and, and um, physical with my hands work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
I know friends who've stayed in science and they tell me that that kind of work doesn't exist anymore anyway. You put it on a slide, you put it in a machine, the answer comes out. Oh, right. So I'm kind of nostalgic for something that doesn't even really exist anymore. Yeah. But the, the crafty hands-on stuff I miss. Um, and when you're, let's say you're reading the paper in the morning, the news, are you drawn, still drawn to the science yeah, I still do. Yeah. I still read all that kind of stuff and yeah. I still find it fascinating. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see more science reporting mm. In Mm. Australia, there's not many. There's a few great medical reporters, Mm. but often I will read somebody's report of a paper or a breakthrough and immediately it doesn't make sense to me because Mm. the the reporter hasn't understood the story that they're writing. Mm, So I I, I think we can still improve with our general science journalism. Yeah. Um, this is changing the subject, but before this, th- uh, before this thought leaves me, I'm going to say it. As you know, both you and I have been doing this for a very long time. Yes. And I, I think I'm over 400 interviews wow. with podcasts. But you are the most – okay, how am I going to say this? You are the most person that is like your voice in the book in it, real life. That is – I think that's good. Yeah, I, that's nice. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I think that of all the people that I've spoken to, I think you are the most closest to the to the to story the, yeah, and right. to the characters. That's fantastic. Thank and you. when I'm reading a Tony Jordan book, I think of the Tony Jordan that I know. Wow. Yeah, isn't that Thank interesting? You, yeah, because I think that varies in a way. But you're kind of you've got that gentle quirkiness yourself. Mm. I think. Thank you. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. It. it uh, I mean, the books reflect the way I see the world, I guess. Yes, of And, course. you know, I come from a very funny family. Like, my sister is the funniest person you will ever meet in your life. <laughs> right. She just kills me on a regular basis. And my mother was funny. They were just all funny women. Yeah. Uh, I come from a long line of funny women. Yeah, and so humour's right there, isn't right it, there. for you? Right there, yeah. Okay, so tell me, what does your writing day look like? Um, how it runs at the moment is I do a thousand words a day. Mm. And I'm pretty strict with that because mm-hmm. once you start and let that slide, then excuses pop up and your brain gets sort of sludgy. Yeah. So it's rain, hail or shine. But uh, And then I have a day off during the week to do admin and, yeah. you know, all the – my bass well, and all that sort of rubbish. Make your doctor's appointment <laughs> yeah, or whatever that, you need to that. do. Yeah. So four days a week I do a thousand words a day and I will sit there until it's done. Yeah. And sometimes that's – Four hours. On a good day, that's four hours. Yeah. And on a bad day, I'm sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. Oh, wow. Because I really believe that if if your unconscious doesn't trust you, it won't show up. Like if I say, I'm going to sit down and do a thousand words today, and then at one o'clock I go, oh, this is tedious. Mm-hmm. I've only done 600, but I'm going to go to the movies. Mm. Tomorrow, my unconscious will not show up because I've proven myself untrustworthy. You've got to, you've really got to earn the respect of your imaginative brain. Why would it show up if you're not doing what you said you would? Mm, and clearing the time. Um, I've spoken to Michael Robotham, who I know you know. Yes. Um, and I've spoken to him several times and I always love it actually. Uh, but he talks about, you know, characters living in his head while he's writing a book and they're always there. And he told me a very funny story of his wife asking him once when they were in the cafe or something. Um, she's like, oh, you're with her, aren't you? <laughs> the other woman. <laughs> One of the characters in the book. I can't remember which book it was. And he was like, yes, I am or something. Does that 
Is that the same for you? Like, is it all-consuming when you're in the middle of writing a book? If something is not working, if there's a problem, at the back of my brain it's continually ticking away. So I'll be sitting on the couch watching television with Robbie and and then I'll go, oh, my God, out of nothing, and he'll go, you figured something out, didn't you? Yeah, Yeah, I figured out the end of Chapter 9, you know, that kind of thing. It's just – it's – it's a very, um, you know, I've, I'm evangelical about people writing yeah. because I feel that all humans, for a start, we're storytelling animals. That's how we process the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And we've done it that way since we've sat around cave campfires telling each other stories at night about the shape of the stars and having, spending time making something beautiful that's come out of your head is like a form of meditation that connects us with a more genuine form of who we are. So especially older people, I'm forever telling them the stories that you have from your childhood or your younger years, if you don't write them down, they will be lost. They'll be lost for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and the rest of your family. So I'm really evangelical about people um, getting stuff down in in writing Um, because I think that it's it's it connects something really important inside of us. Yeah, and you're right about the fact that we're all storytellers. I was um, chatting with someone, uh, an author on a podcast the other day, and we were talking about grief because I, I my mum died. Last oh, I'm year. sorry, yeah. I didn't realise. Oh, thanks. It's it's been hard. It's been really really hard. And grief is it's a monster. You know, yeah. it really has been a monster. But I, I feel as though I've kind of um, copped a bit of criticism about talking about it a lot. People don't really want to talk about it. Um, and one of the, you know, overwhelming feelings for me has been, have I been understanding enough to people I know whose parents right. have died? Because I wasn't there until I was there. Yeah. Right. But anyway, she asked me a really interesting question. She said, how do you deal with that awkwardness when you want to talk about it? And I said, I just tell stories about her. That's lovely. And it gets people over the line. The yeah. discomfort yeah. goes. Yeah. And then, you know. And, but you're still mem- remembering her and mm, bringing mm. her to life in that yeah. really vivid way. But I think people think I'm a bit crazy because I haven't let it go. But what does that mean? It's only been a year, yeah. under a year. Yeah. But also what does it mean when you want to talk about somebody that, you know, whoever that is, you know, whether it's your mother, father, brother, sister. It's been a really strange time, I think. But, of course, it's given me a greater understanding of, of grief. But, yeah, I think if you put it into a story, then people have a better way of dealing with yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's really, really interesting. Was it Joan Didion who said we tell ourselves stories in order to survive? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um, I represented a, a wonderful young man um, who immigrated. He was a refugee, spent many, I think you might remember, Majoktulba, yeah. um, spent many, many years in a um, refugee camp. And he has been developing stories in his head forever. And he told me once that he thought that writing a book was just attaching something to your brain, right? Like a cord. All right. Yeah. Headphones. I'm loving this concept. If only we could do this. Yes, because in his head, stories were there all the time, right? And then you attach that to some kind of machine and the story comes out. Yes, that, I would that? love that and tell him to get to work because <laughs> I would buy one of those machines. I know, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? Okay, so your 
you're now defined as a writer, you're an author, um, and I hope you're not like Trent Dalton, who just never, he reckons he doesn't know at what, what point he'll ever call himself an author. He just feels that that's... No, no, I'm definitely, that's what I do. That's what you yeah. do. Okay. And are you a book a year now? Um, I have been over the last couple of years. These yeah. two are a year apart, yeah. but I won't have another one next year, so I haven't started the next one yet. Why? Um, I'm just having a little bit of a break, thinking yeah. about things. Yeah. 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 I think though, though these two, the reason I had difficulty with this second one was they were a bit close together for me. I don't want to make that mistake again. Yeah, I still got to enjoy the process. Yeah, the overlap. Yeah. Okay, so talk to us about um, Prettier if she smiled more. Well, it's uh, it's still in the Schnabel's family, so yeah. it's Kylie, the the oldest Schnabel sister. Yeah. Who is um, a woman that that you and I might find vaguely recognisable. Um, she's the oldest sibling. She's the organiser of the family. She keeps everything together. She's uh, great at her job and she's just one of these people who keep the world moving. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're one of these fantastic women that do fantastic work and just yeah. keep everything going. Um, but she ha- this is a bad week for her mm-hmm. and, and it starts off with um, the community pharmacy that she works in that she always imagined that she would buy one day, um, being sold to a big conglomerate. Then she notices some weird activity on her boyfriend's Fitbit. Um, And then her uh, mother breaks her ankle. So everything kind of, Mm. for a woman who is very tightly controlled, the whole week sort of starts to spin out of control. Mm. And she has to decide um, what what is really important to her, I guess. It's beautiful. I mean, again, so well told and, you know, um, in your voice and you've got on the front cover a Leanne Moriarty quote. Isn't she generous? She's so generous. She said, I loved every page of this delightful novel. And then you've got the lovely Pip Williams there as well. Don't we love her? She's fantastic too. So do you think this will be the style of writing that you'll stay with? I'm... I love, as we were talking about earlier, I love all kinds of books. And uh, part of me wants to do every sort of genre and subgenre you could possibly imagine. So I just, I haven't really quite decided yet. I've toyed about, um, I think we spoke originally about this idea when Dinner with the Schnabels came out about how much I admired those Marion Keyes Walsh sisters books. And my original idea was a was five family members in this family, um, the way she looks at those five Irish sisters. So I was thinking that maybe Nick might be Nick, the baby of the family, the um, retired um, football player, might be uh, the next person to look at um, because he's really up himself and really needs to be brought down a peg. Um, so, but I haven't started anything yet, yeah. so we'll just see what happens. Readers love that. Readers love reconnecting with characters after you've I do them. too. Yeah, I love yeah. it when people pop up. You yeah, know? yeah. And you remember them particularly. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, that's what he's doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what she's doing now. So tell me, do you enjoy, because I know that you've, in the past we've talked about this and you've kind of described yourself as not reclusive, that might be too much, but a quiet person, yes. and then we pull you out once a year or yes. once every second yes. year. It's like wheel me around <laughs> once a year for my yeah. my two weeks outside the Are office. you enjoying that more? Are you t- Talk to me about how you feel about I, that. I do enjoy it, but the reason I enjoy it, I think it's because it's so rare. Yeah. I think if, if I had to 
do like what you do and what normal people does and interact with people every day. I just don't think I could do it. I'm such an extreme introvert that that I have to recharge by myself. And if I just can't imagine how that would happen otherwise. So I am... I, it's great. The two weeks or three weeks, whatever it is, it's really great. And then that's my socialising done for yeah. the next 12 months. Do you know, I think um, I think it's great too because I get to see you. But also I think it's great in a way. I mean, it, you know, I do the same myself. Like if I haven't been out and about for a while, I do like – well, for example, when we were locked down – uh, with COVID, and then Jane and I decided to go to Melbourne and connect with some authors. I was on that gave me a total high for a That's very great. long time. That's great. Yeah, it is. Do you get that feeling? Do yeah, you get that I do. you pick up yeah. what's happening out there? Yeah, it's great to meet it's certainly great to meet people. It's great to meet readers. Yeah. Um it's great to see what they like about the book and, yeah. and have them talk with this book. Everybody likes Gloria, the mother of the family. Yeah. So it's great to hear them, you know, talk about that. So that's a really important thing. And that's the reason why I write. I decided a while ago that my whole reason for being on earth is to make people smile. Oh. And and if if that's – I need to make sure that that's happening. So when, when people tell me they enjoy uh, the books, that's, that's the yeah. main game. Yeah, it is the main game, isn't it? Tony Jordan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.